Hi, and a pleasant welcome wherever you may be. This is the 615 Preps Podcast for week five. It is our eighth episode on the air. I'm Chris Brooks alongside Scott Burton, Christian Composi. Fellas, hit it. What's up, guys? Welcome. I want to thank the Beach Cheerleaders and their student section for the shout-out to open the podcast here this week. Uh, a little different from some of them that we've actually done because they got the student section involved, so I'll give them some bonus points for that. Joint collaboration. Absolutely. We're all for that around here. <laughs> like I said, it's week five here in uh, Middle Tennessee High School football. Some of the playoff pictures starting to kind of shape up just a little bit. We still have a long way to go, though. But a lot of teams will hit the halfway point of the season this week. Can you really believe it? they're halfway over and we're still middle of September? It's so hard to believe, especially with the temperature being so hot. Every Friday you look at it, it's like, oh, it's got to be a, a scrimmage or a 7-on-7. Seven seven. Yeah. No. Should, this should be criminal. This should be yeah. criminal to be 95 degrees in September. Uh, I walked outside. And of course, I worked near the airport, and it was 99 degrees on September 16th. That's, that's just wrong. Oh, it was it was miserable Friday night. I was surprised we didn't we uh, at the game I was at that we didn't see them stop for uh, hydration breaks and things like that. That was a little surprising. I thought that might be something they would do, but then again, I guess they were they were okay with uh, going without them. But uh, good show for you this week. We will take a quick look back to week number four with some of the top games around the area. We know who our player of the week is going to be, and we'll mention him as well. Uh, plus, uh, who you got? And we'll, we'll pick 10 more games, and uh, we'll see how well we can do and uh, see how well the uh, the Twitter universe can pick against us. Um, also an interesting discussion. We've seen some teams around the area with some pretty low roster numbers, and, and it's kind of bringing to mind the question of how small a roster is too small to play 11-man football. We'll talk about that in the, in the next segment. But uh, first off, we get back to week four. Uh, probably one of the – one of the best games beach in hendersonville scott you were there hendersonville looked to have this one in the bag with a few minutes left oh they did they did it was a grinder a game uh hendersonville was a great host you know what a great a good guest does when a host gives them a gift <laughs> a good guest accepts it without question and beach was a great guest <laughs> uh both I wasn't the, sure who you were going with there. I thought they gave you something. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I thought, are we having, are we having like, oh, a Scott promotion? Dinner. No, I mean, they, <laughs> you didn't tell they, us this, but no, okay, go ahead. No, no I mean, they, they, they took uh, – Beach was uh, – both defenses was great. First half was just really tough. Neither team could really get anything going. Do uh, you remember last week when we said that Hendersonville would not survive if they made the same mistakes they made against mm-hmm. Station Camp? Yep. Bingo. They had not one, not two, but three mishandled snaps that led directly to 15 of the 18 beach points. Uh, two of them were mishandled punt snaps, and the other one went over uh, in uh, shotgun. There's a reason we talk about special teams on every episode, and we do it here now because it, and it directly cost Hendersonville this game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was 17 to 6 with like five minutes left, and then it winds up being. 18 to 17, just on the strength of two mishandled punts. And it's not just that they happen, it's when they happen. They happen at some critical times. Uh, two of the ones you're talking about on the punts happened in the last five minutes of the game. And before that, Beach had really nothing going on offense. Hendersonville had really slowed them down. Uh, but just the fact that, you know what, Beach got those turnovers, but they also took advantage of it. They didn't just get great field position. They punched it in when they had to. And you got to give – the Buccaneers, a lot of credit. You look at Hendersonville and say, man, they made some huge mistakes. But you know what? It's The, the Buccaneers, for so long, they could have had their heads down and kind of just given up. It wasn't their night, but they stayed to the very last minute of the game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They fought tooth and nail. You cannot give an Anthony Crabtree coach team a second chance or a third chance. You cannot do it. They will take it, and they will run with it. And that's that's their M.O. I mean, you can beat them and, and beat them 40 minutes, but if you if you screw up in the final eight minutes – They've got you. That's exactly how they operate. And it's big for Beach, but for Hendersonville as well. It's another scenario of they can't hold their heads down too long because they got a big region matchup coming up this week at Lebanon. And I know I think we're getting to that game a little bit on uh, in this podcast. The Commandos can't put their head down too long on this one because they've got a big, big region game coming up next week. It no. seems like these rivalry games, a lot of teams tend to dwell on it if they're on the losing end. They cannot do it because in often, oftentimes they're not region games and they're not killers. 
but the wrong mindset can make them killers if you if you dwell on it too long. That's a fantastic point. This is uh, really this doesn't really affect Hendersonville on in the standings, Mm-mm. but you are absolutely right in the head in in their mindset. It, how does it affect their culture? Uh, it this is something they have to put behind them, but it's a crosstown rival. They won't let you forget it. No. And it's so interesting, too, that it happens so often now because with all the realignment in the last five years of the Tito SAA and teams going up a, up a classification, teams going down, we see that all the time. And we're about to see it in this next game. We're going to talk about old district rivals, old region rivals now separated with the, the class and how many students you have. And they just turn out to be great games like we had in Beach Hendersonville. And that game you talk about is Gallatin blowing at Mount Juliet. Gallatin blanking Mount Juliet 7 to nothing. An old-school defensive, just an, a white-knuckle brawl pretty much in this one. Spencer Briggs, we talked about every week pretty much, 183 yards, but he wasn't really the story the defense was. Yeah, I mean, we, we have you know gone on and on about their offense, but we did talk last week about their defense and only allowing seven points a game. Uh, their defense is as much a story as anything. I mean, they held Mount Juliet to six first downs, 97 total yards. That's impressive. You don't hold Trey Perry's team to under 100 yards offense very often at all. You, you cherish that moment because now that's that's a watershed moment on Gallatin's season right there. That's a that's a statement win. And Golden Bears right now just 38 total points this season. They have had their bye week. They've only played three games, uh, but still. Uh, Gallatin 4-0 for the first time since 2011. You just keep saying it. Chad Watson just keeps finding a way. And, and it, I think we said it. Spencer Briggs has been the headline of most of our podcasts, but this week it was totally the defense. And the question I had when I saw this final score and MJ not getting over 100 yards on offense, I wonder how much that change in offense that they had the prior week against Lebanon affected that. They were in the wing tee. They go to the spread uh, for the Lebanon game. I just wonder, you know, that early in the year, switching up offenses like that, how much that had a factor in this game. Possibly, but, you know, we look back at the the game we just talked about. Again, non-region game. You might be able to get away with that for a week because, you know, this doesn't kill them in the standings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, mean, they're shut out. MJ, that's the first time they've been shut out since 2015. So that's a a big, big ordeal for Gallatin. And I think it's another case scenario for Mountain Juliet. They've had a long streak of wins against Wilson Central. That's their next opponent uh, this week. Uh, It's one of those case scenarios that they got to get back in that rhythm after they fell to Stewart's Creek week one. They did it for Lebanon. they got to do it again this week for Wilson Central. We'll talk about that one and who you got as well. That's one of our picks this week. one of the one of the results that surprised me and probably surprised a lot of people, Independence just running roughshod over Blackman, forty nine to thirteen. This one now, this was the Ethan Cash show. Man, poor Blackman. They just they the, the early part of their schedule has just it has run them over week after week, and uh, from the first game of the season on, uh, they, they've got a win right now in the win column. But you know what? It, it was the offense of Independence, and you know, offense was a big ordeal for Williamson County Schools this week. Uh, Chase Bishop just huge, five touchdowns, 212 yards on 10 catches. Blackman's longest run though was only six yards. So as much as that Independence defense, or excuse me, the Independence offense was a, a, a big storyline, their defense was making some plays, and that's a really interesting uh, aspect about a Williamson County school because we think about all these schools and all these points that are being put up there in Williamson County if you can have a good defense that could catch some teams off guard yeah this game was an air show on both sides you know both quarterbacks were slinging all around the place uh, Blackman's leading rushers each had 17 yards they only rushed for 17 yards total on 29 combined carries and that that's that's saying something when you can hold a team like Blackman to that little on the ground well the the thing that gets me is you know, Blackman is struggling it makes you wonder if it is a confidence uh, issue after you know they get out there they score and then they allow 49 straight points when is the last time blackman played under a running clock they played under a running clock in that second half wow blackman let's, let's put it this way they've scheduled tough they did it for a reason i'm starting to wonder now if that schedule is weighing a little bit on them well we're going to find out really quick their final six games they're all region games it's all region mm-hmm. the rest of the way here and uh they're one of those regions, I think they've got eight teams in it. So, you, mm-hmm. you've got to play a bunch of region games since you've got a bunch of region teams in it. So, we're going to find out real quick 
what the scheduling process uh, if it's benefited the blaze or if it's going to come back and bite them yeah you, you make an excellent point they they have scheduled very very difficult but what does that do to you physically does that do you get more injuries do you get uh, does that eat away at your confidence we'll find out i mean blackman could very well just pull right out of this and, and start smoking people but right now uh, it's not looking good uh, for blackman uh, i'll say this i still think blackman is still a, a threat in that region i mean oh. maybe not necessarily to oakland but they're going to be a playoff team i believe oh. that it's just a matter of uh, what they're going to look like when they get to week 10 and week 11 exactly i mean will that will that carry over at all I'm not a. I'm not worried about them not making the playoffs. I think you're exactly right. I think they're a playoff team. But what does that schedule do to you, front loaded over the course of it, of the season? Yeah, they'll have a chance to get back on track in the next next few weeks. Well, and this is one of the few times you ever talk about Blackman in this scenario. Well, you know what? It's not a region game because most time in their schedule, they they've just been winning games in the past couple of years. This is a case scenario. Go. You know what? It's not a region game. The one win they do have, it is a region win. Uh, so now they just gotta, you know, they gotta get back on this mindset of look, and you might even have to tell this if if you're on that coaching staff, guys. We have played some of the top competition in the state of Tennessee, uh, but now's the real deal. That's done with. You got a bunch of region games here, and your your entire season's still ahead of you. Yeah. Uh, woe be to you if you're the team that they when they put it together. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. A team that's got it together right now, Ravenwood, and. Uh, a, a very high-profile matchup last week with Pulaski Academy out of Arkansas. Uh, it was mo- much noted about Kevin Kelly, Pulaski head coach, doesn't punt, goes for a fourth down, goes for two-point conversions and onside kicks frequently. And he did all of that last Friday night, and it wasn't enough. I've seen that offense somewhere before. Don't even say it. Don't, even, <laughs> don't, even, don't you dare. Don't you dare. I, I will edit that out. <laughs> And, and you will. I know you will, so I won't bring it up. Okay. But, uh, All right. For I, I, I was he's just talk- saying, it, it was deja vu. I've just seen it before somewhere. For those who don't know, he's talking about Kentucky head coach Hal Mummy. And he's going to edit that out, right? No. no, I won't. I probably won't, just so everybody can hear I was actually going to say Mike Leach, but go ahead. Well, if you had, if you had told me that, that would have worked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for a Mike Leach reference. That's, that's hey, the I'm, guy I'm right there. That. I'm well, okay I mean, with that's, that. I mean, you know, you know that, that offense is gimmicky, but – it it does work at, at certain levels. Well, when you throw when you put up a thousand yards of total offense in a game, you are doing something right. And Pulaski did that in their season opener. But I watched most of the fourth quarter of that game, and I could just tell Ravenwood's size difference was was what really won it for them. I think you know, Pulaski, you know, they've got they've got a lot of talent. They've got kids that can do everything, but they got pushed around in the fourth quarter. Yeah, they don't have that Ravenwood size. And with the offense they, they have, you really didn't need to, you know, line up and run it right at them. They just – they really spread you out like they do on offense. They're four or five wide most of the time. Some numbers I just wrote down from this game. Combined 1,164 yards of offense. Pulaski ran 105 plays on offense. They were five of nine on fourth down. There was one punt in the entire game. And uh, Brian Garcia, quarterback for Ravenwood – 13 completions, seven of them were touchdowns. So over half of his completions were touchdowns. It's just some crazy offense. And it was crazy, too, is that all these other games in the mid-state were finished, and you're driving home. They're like, oh, we're starting the fourth quarter. Some of that was due to TV. <laughs> but other, it was just the flow of that game. So many incompletions. The clock doesn't run. Yeah, I, I can't blame TV entirely for that one because, I mean, when you stop the clock as much as those teams, teams did – it's going to go three and a half hours. And for all the talk of offense in that game, it was defense that made the difference. It was Graham Barton making the sack on the strip sack, you know, Reggie Grimes picking up and running it in and, and putting them up. You know what, Pulaski Academy, and they're going to be a really good team in Arkansas just because they lose this one, 61-47. to 47. Uh, But it was so interesting as Ravenwood had such a – Big lead in that game. I mean, they started out and they were up big on Pulaski, and that's what's interesting about this kind of idea that Pulaski Academy is doing with the fourth down thing and just going forward. The percentages is that you know what? It's kind of that idea of we're never really out of a ball game. You get a two point conversion here, and you can't add up touchdowns like you would usually do in a ball game. It's just totally different. And late in that game, they found themselves back in it. 
and we talked about this in the last game we covered, but it's going to be really interesting. Will this game, the track meet they just have, have an effect on their conditioning for what they've got coming up? I don't know. We'll talk about that a little later on. Um, we didn't mention Andrew Mason. Well, seven touchdown receptions. <laughs> How did we miss that? <laughs> seven touchdown receptions. He was two yards shy of a state record for receiving yards in a game, and he actually had eight total touchdowns. Uh, 356 yards on eight catches. Just what a performance by Andrew Mason. We're going to mention him again in the minute, I believe, uh, because we are going to talk about our players of the week. And, you know, we have to throw him in there. Well, and the and the touchdown catches weren't weren't uh, little dink and dunks. Seven yards, fifty yards, seventy-one yards, thirty-seven yards, sixty yards, fifty-four yards, forty-one yards. A lot of that is just the blazing speed. Garcia hitting him in stride, making really nice sharp passes, and Mason taking him to the house. Yep. Let's bring in some other cats who had really strong games Friday night, and we've talked about Mason already. Uh, his quarterback Brian Garcia. Seven touchdown passes. Uh, who else stood out to you? Guy we brought up earlier when we were talking about independence, uh, Chase Bishop, son of uh, Titans uh, legend Blaine Bishop. Five touchdown cast, catches from Ethan Cash, uh, 212 yards on 10 catches, just big night offensively. And it's funny, if, if Ravenwood doesn't explode on offense, five touchdown catches, 212, that's nothing to, to bat an eye at. Yeah, I've got Justin Seagraves with French Christian. Uh, 171 yards rushing, two touchdowns, and a 46-7 win over Grace Baptist. Now, another cat that had five touchdown passes, Marcus Collins from Eagleville. 10 of 11, 254, and five scores through the air. And he had himself quite a night, too, an efficient night at that. I'd about to say pretty efficient right there. I got Gerard Bullock, Innsworth, quarterback, 23 of 30, 282 yards, four touchdowns, and their win over CPA. We, we talk about Antoine Roberts and JP2, 194 yards in the ground on 29 carries and a touchdown, and their big rivalry went over Father Ryan. And another another strong night for him. But and we got to come back to Andrew Mason. How, how do you not give it to Mason when you're talking about uh, matching state records, coming close to breaking state records? How do you, How do you avoid that? On such a big platform as well, too, with it – with everything going around. And most of the talk was about Pulaski Academy going into that one, just the unique style of football they play. And for them just to go out there and, you know what, they do this, well, let's do it too. They didn't, you know, onside kick and go for two all the time. But, yeah, I mean, it's, what, two yards shy of a second state record? Yeah. It's got to be him. Uh, yeah. How – how how much salivating did the coaches at Rice do when they saw that tape? Oh man, <laughs> well, they're probably a little worried too because they're like, oh, this guy could be on some other ra- radars <laughs> well, no, that we no, didn't. Slow down, yeah. slow down. <laughs> right, because I mean, this game was televised locally. It was also a national telecast on Stadium as well. So there's a wider audience that got to see that than just around here in Middle Tennessee. So something to keep in mind there. That is uh, an excellent point. He's not signed anything yet. No, so. he hasn't. And we've seen it before where, you know, recruits get a little more interest late in the process and then a decision's got to be made. We'll see how that affects Andrew Mason. But for this week, he's our player of the week. And we keep talking about Ravenwood because they are actually one of the candidates for our game of the week this week. Uh, go to 615 underscore preps on Twitter and vote in our poll so before we announce our, our game of the week this week, uh, Scott wanted to point out that uh, this was our earliest mention of special teams in, in any episode we've done so far. Had it timed at three forty. What you what you just say a minute ago to me? <laughs> I said you're the one who brought it up too. Yeah, so. Yeah, so we just improve every week. Uh, I tell you, special I, teams matter. Now now I've gotten into the action. So <laughs> come yeah. to our side. <laughs> <laughs> come to the dark side. I don't know how we can get any quicker unless we just start. We got to yeah, rename. Well, we got to rename the podcast. Say, you just. You oh, I have, an, say, I, I have an idea. Kicker. <laughs> Here's the kicker. <laughs> you stole my idea. <laughs> you stole my idea, Scott. Why? <laughs> but, uh, no, we want to get into our, our Mid-State Spotlight Game of the Week, and uh, this week it will be Ravenwood at Brentwood. And, you know, a, a, the Battle of the Woods, a highly anticipated region matchup. Uh, it should be a really good one. And for the first time this year, I'll be on the sideline for that one instead of Scott. But yeah, that's uh, 
about time you got out there and did something. <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> no, really. That's a game that I, what I really think is you're cherry picking those. those. That's a game that's going to be really good. Actually, that one deserves you to be there instead of me. Um, but I, I, I am a little bit jealous, although it can't get a whole lot better than the games that I've seen so far. You've so. had some really good ones, I, though. I, I have. I can't complain. And the let me tell you, the I hope you have – I hope you have as much fun and have as good an experience as I've had with the hosts and the student sections and the teams and the games that I've seen. Guys, you guys got to get out there and see some games. But the good thing is, is that we're here to let you know about the ones you don't make. For the, for the, uninitiated, for the uninitiated, I actually have a uh, prior engagement. I'm a freelance writer for the Macon County Times for most of the season. But this is the week, one of the weeks where I am not going to be with Macon County, I'll be at Brentwood. That's his way of telling you that the pro is coming to take over and <laughs> you're going to kick the uh, the sub to the curb. I did not say that. That's just how it worked out. But thanks well, for that. <laughs> well, let, let me just say then, if in, in, the, uh, in the interest of self-promotion, I will be at Joe Burns and Red Bull and Springs game this week. And while we're at it, I'll be at Summits and uh, John Overton on Friday night. You're gonna, you're you got a pretty see. good game. Spartans are a really, really good team in 5A, and I think this has been brought up. I was going to say so many teams in 5A. I, I, oh, yeah. I was going to say he was going to see a good team, but and we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. No, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see the Spartans because they're so young. Yeah, uh, quarterbacks a sophomore. He's got a brother, the Wade brothers. He's a sophomore as well. He's one of his top wide receivers. It's uh, Spartans are one of the one of the several five A teams in the yeah. area that are so good. What well, uh, we'll take a break. That is the first segment of the show this week. Uh, this is the six one five Preps podcast. We're back after this. Hey, just a reminder that Mid State Preps Plus is looking for you. We currently have openings for sponsors on both the Mid-State Preps Plus website and the 615 Preps podcast. Contact us at midstatepreps at gmail.com for more details. Back here on the 615 Preps podcast. Now, we mentioned some of the teams that we've been seeing this year. Uh, and one of the things that have kind of floated through our heads was, you know, we have some small schools in the area, uh, some schools that have struggled to keep numbers up. And my question this week is, how small is too small of a roster to field a competitive 11-man football team? Well, that's that's a really, really tricky question. Uh, there's really big problems with running too small of a team. You know, right now, uh, player uh, participation is down. I think it's down like 6.7% uh, since peak participation in 2009. Ten years from its highest peak, it's, it's, it's declining. If you have too small numbers, then you really take some risks with the players. So the question is, do you cut it down to like 25, 25 players that gives you two full, or is that too high? And I would say probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about 18 to 20, I think you would have to have. At least. Because no, I've seen a couple of teams with about 30 kids that would really benefit from dropping down to eight-man extreme. Uh, and okay. not to name any names here, but you know, there are some schools that would probably benefit from it from a competition standpoint and from a safety standpoint. Well, I, th I think you can't, you can't ignore the safety standpoint. If your teams are forced to, to dip into the eighth grade, ninth grade players – then you're bringing up kids who are not physically capable, uh, really not ready to be taking on seniors and juniors at another level. And, and, and it doesn't really matter whether it's single A or double A or, or whatnot. You're talking about developing bodies. Uh, they're more likely to be injured because they're playing more snaps. Uh, a case study in this is Ezel Harding. Ezel Harding is a championship program. They've fallen on some hard times, and they made the tough decision this year to drop down to eight-man football, and it seems to be working out for them. So my question to you is, is, don't you think that 
this would benefit some other smaller schools around the area to do the same. Yeah, I think so. I think that it, when you look at it, you're worried about injuries. You're worried about the reputation of football. You're worried about you know, kids getting out there and playing. Drop down to eight-man football and play eight-man elite football. Because right now, your only other choice eventually is going to be either consolidation, where you're going to have to consolidate schools, and nobody wants to do that, whether it's for economic reasons, you don't want to give up your cast-cow sport, or for pride reasons, you, you know, your culture, whatever. So if you, if you don't do that, the question is going to be, at what point does the TSSAA step in and say, you know, you're, this, is too, this is not enough players. You have, to, you have to stop. Go ahead and step down to eight men and, and play some. E- Ezel Harding, I think, Chris, you said that right now two or three of the top runners in the, in the state are, are for Ezel Harding, right? Yep. Yep. So it, you're really losing three defenders, but you're also losing three offensive players too on each side. So I, 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 I don't see how you can – I don't see how you can – talk about safety you know with all the talk about concussions and and all the things that, you know about the attrition rate and kids not wanting to play and all these other outside factors you're better off stepping down and drawing your drawing a, a crowd in that way i think it's a tough conversation to have because so many people have very little knowledge of eight-man football everything that all the student athletes have grown up watching uh, whether it's pro, whether it's college, you know, it's 11-on-11. 11 11. Uh, you know, with the flag football kind of coming on the scene the last couple of years, you know, we it's not the exact same 11-on-11. 11 11. It, it's just kind of difficult, I guess, for some people to grasp of, you know what, maybe you've only got 20 student athletes, and it just it kind of makes more sense. But I just I don't think enough people know about it. Yep. It's, it's not really publicized that much, and some of that is because there's just not that many teams to really talk about. Um, so I think that's the difficult part of it is trying to convince a school of this is a better way of doing it. But you know what? You you never you hear about it, but it's not a, it's not a big to do yet. Well, my 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 issue is that I love this game. I played this game. I love this game. I don't want to see it go away, and I don't want to see it become so dangerous that something happens, and it's you know, it's taken from us. Yeah, in New York, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they have to have 16 healthy players available to play a game. Uh, there are some teams that are lucky to have 16 healthy players. I've seen small schools uh, roll out uh, kids, uh, and you know you get fatigue. They're playing both ways. You get fatigue, which leads to poor technique, which leads to injuries. You get kids who are who are not who are feel like they have to go out there and and do that so at some point you you have to look at it realistically and say maybe we should consider eight man football we we can keep it healthy and 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 we can still play i think an argument to be made for it is the university interscholastic league in texas has six man football if a state as football crazed as texas is picking up on six-man football, I don't see why eight-man football can't start to grow in Tennessee considering you know, this state has just as many Division One championships as, as Texas does. And, and not seeing an eight-man game, I can imagine that it's probably as exciting. We've seen, we've seen you know, for other reasons, three-man basketball uh, leagues where there's a lot of scoring, there's a lot of excitement. What, is an eight, what do you lose in an, you know, going from 11 to 8? And I believe, and I've done I've done a couple of eight man games before. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's an 80 yard field, so it's a little bit a little bit shorter field, but a, a lot of the same concepts of of 11 man football are there. Yeah, I, I've watched a couple of games on YouTube. They're not very so. I, I'm really not leaning on them as something I can point to and say, oh, I've watched it. Uh, that's why. But I, I have. If if you get a chance, uh, go on YouTube. There are examples of eight man football. I just think that small schools, especially rural schools, whose Friday nights are, you know, the social counter is so wrapped up around football, 
but they, you know, they're just not don't have the players. They want to keep those traditions alive. They don't want to lose that identity. There, there's there are teams that have shut down, just don't play, and it it devastates a community. Think ahead, and and bite the bullet and consider stepping down to eight man football. It may just save your sport until that time that you're until that time that maybe your community comes back on the upswing or or whatnot. And I kind of go back a little bit on on the way the TWSAA has expanded football too much in this state. There's no excuse to have nine championships in Tennessee. There just isn't. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have classifications that are decidedly one-sided at times. You, know, you get in your 1A and your 2A schools, and those rosters are razor thin. And that's a byproduct of – of what the TWSAA has done. I mean, they've gone too far. I think part of it, too, is just so many people moving to Middle Tennessee and that even though there's so many people moving, it tends to be, you know, the bigger areas around that are that are receiving these. And, and you get reclassification of not just what classification you are in TWSAA, but you get rezoning when it comes to schools. And just for instance, there's a, a new high school coming up here in, in Mountain Juliet, and they're going to be a, a Green Hills High School, and that's going to take away from Mountain Juliet High School. That's going to take away from Lebanon. And so there's so many different things that go into how many people you have available and, and bouncing up and down. And it's just – it's such a – it's a hard thing to figure out of what's the right number, of what's the what's the correct – because, you know, some schools, you know, they, they've done it for a long time. They've had 25 guys, and they've gone through a season just fine. But others, you know – you have a bad injury year, and all of a sudden you're down to 13, 14 guys. And what's and and what is the with the good athletes? Okay, you you do have some attrition from them going to another school, and all of a sudden you're leaving a school behind that now has to bring up players that aren't conditioned because they're just trying to fill up a, a fill a spot. Uh, you know, and then all of a sudden somebody goes, "We didn't plan on playing that eighth grader, but our quarterback went out." Those are the situations where then you really run the risk of somebody really getting hurt, and that that to me is got to be at the forefront of your of your thought if you're the TWSAA is the student athlete and protecting them. And I think at some point the TWSAA will. I don't think this is a I don't think this is a my good idea or anybody. You know, I think that the TWSAA will at some point institute this. Just for safety reasons. I think it's all going to be, it's like what I said first, it's got to be about the knowledge. Everybody's got to know about it. It's got to be, you don't want it to be a trendy fad kind of thing because then it just kind of dies off. It's got to be something that it's a proven fact of we have teams that are doing this. They're having success. They're playing football. It's, it's no different. Just take three guys off the field. It's the same game. It all starts about making everybody aware of this is an option. This is a thing. Because right now it's just it's kind of a you could do this, but good luck. It's not really a, a sanctioned. And with the UIL in Texas sanctioning six-man football, the logical step forward would be for the TWSAA to adopt eight-man football in its ranks as well. And then we have to point the the finger towards us. You have to point the finger at the media. Media's got to be willing to support and promote those leagues. Yep. And uh, you know. They're going to have to have help because that's part of it. If, if it becomes an accepted format and it becomes a visible format, then these smaller teams are going to get recognized and it's going to be a more palatable decision to make by administrations. It's, it's a tough discussion to have because there's really no solid good answer. There, there's a number of good answers that we can find, but we just have to – Find them at some point because with these dwindling numbers in some schools, you know, when do you draw the line? But uh, it's it's a discussion that I think needs to continue to happen, even though it's it's hard for a lot of schools to say, you know, maybe we should go to eight man. But with Ezo Harding doing it and having a degree of success that they're already having in their first year in eight man, I don't see why other schools can't follow suit. Yeah, and, go, and I know we kind of drifted away from the actual question, which is how low is too low. Um, but I think we all agree that at some point there is 
a threshold. And looking at it, I'd say probably you're looking somewhere in the 18 to 20 range. Uh, that gives you that gives you enough for attrition. I would like to see 20 to 25 somewhere in there, but I because kids get hurt. But there are some good teams at that you know, at that level that you could survive that. I mean, I would even like to see it at 25, because yeah. I mean, your two deep depth chart is only going to get you to 22 players. Even if if you had nobody go both ways, it would get you to 22 players. But you know, you have kids that go both ways, and it fills another different spots. And maybe I was being a little conservative because I'm because for some reason I feel like this has to be sold. And but yeah, I, I agree. I think the higher the number, the actually the better it is. It's it, to me, it's so funny that this like we're talking about this because some of these games you go, it's a serious problem. You go and there's 20, 25 people. Mm-hmm. Other games you go to, there's 90, 95 players on the sideline. It's just depending on, and it can be just a couple miles away. Just about the zoning of it and the classification yep. is that. Some of these schools, it looks like a, a small college team with right. so many players dressed out, and you've yeah. got freshman guys in different colored jerseys. Yeah. And then some schools, they just they just do not have enough student athletes. I, I don't know what the I don't know what the size of Eagleville team, but I imagine compared to what Oakland's got, it, it it's dwarfsome. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm going to go see two small schools this week. Now those are equitable teams and probably equitable numbers, but. Uh, it, those those are the types of schools that definitely are the ones that are in the mo- at the most risk. Yeah, it's a conversation that probably needs to continue at some point. Uh, for this podcast this week, we'll, we'll cut it here. This is the third segment of the week, and it's time for who you got. Uh, I gotta I gotta hand it to Scott. He went eight and two last week. I, I ran my mouth a little too much, and he tied me. Uh, he, hey, he didn't beat me, but he tied me. Hey, what can I say? Every, uh, bl- uh, even a blind squirrel find a nut every now and then. <laughs> well, not bring up my record. Let's just go on. I, I, <laughs> I did not. Now, had he? <laughs> I'm bringing it up. I five got and five. I got my wish. I got to 500. Five and five. Uh, and I mentioned on Twitter that I picked eight out of ten road teams, and eight out of ten road teams won. It just didn't happen to be the right eight. <laughs> But uh, eight and two in the week, I'll take it. And twenty-eight and twelve on the season, just cruising along at a seven hundred clip. How the people do? People didn't do too well either. Five and five. So that's what I. You were not. You were not alone. You were not alone. I said last week. I was like, oh man, you know what? I should probably start listening to the people more. They're pretty good. They're riding the same boat as <laughs> <Yeah>. I am. <laughs> you, yeah, you were. You were not alone at average. That's right. So people, I got you. Well. <laughs> He's a man of the people. I'm a man He's of, a the, man people. of the people. Well, go vote at 615 underscore preps on Twitter. We'll have all 10 games listed for you to vote on before kickoff on Friday. The first of those in Division Two, Class AA, number one BGA travels to CPA, and I cannot think of a team that needs a win worse than CPA right now. And it's not going to happen. I just I do not see it. CPA, it, they just can't score on offense right now. They're averaging six and a half points a game. And you know what? They've had BGA's number. Uh, they've won the last three meetings against them since they've been in that same uh, that region. But and they put so many points up against BGA. They're averaging about 38 in those three contests. But they just can't do it. And BGA and Nick Symptom-Velter and that offense, i I got to take BGA. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, you know, they're averaging 378, uh, almost 379 yard, total yards per game. That was court opponents like 159 to 72. CPA has had now. CPA has played, in my opinion, tougher competition. But I don't. I just. I just can't see with that their offense. I. I just can't see their defense holding BGA back. I'm going to have to go with BGA. Yeah, the symptom helper train is just rolling right along. And BGA is just going to take wins right along with it. I don't think that CPA can contain that offense enough to to keep themselves in it. It's going to be tough for Engel Martin's kids if they go to 0-5, but that's what they're staring at right now. And uh, i got to go BGA as well. And Next one on the list, and we talked about Hendersonville and, and Lebanon too. Next up on the list, Lebanon and Hendersonville, both these teams 2-2. Two two. It's a critical region game for both. Hendersonville coming off a rivalry game loss. Lebanon 
And they squeaked out a win at Laverne last week. Yeah, Laverne gave Lebanon all they could handle, really. They, uh, Blue Devils allowed 60% completion percentage to the Wolverines quarterback. Now, they're going to get a stronger quarterback this week. They're a run, uh, Blue Devils run first team, but tell you the truth, Hendersonville pretty much all but shut down Beach except in that last few minutes. I think it's going to come down to a turnover battle, but I think Hendersonville actually wins this game. Yeah, I agree with you. Both teams two and two, and they both had, you know, they, they played some teams. Lebanon, their two losses, Gallatin, Mountain Juliet, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Hendersonville, their two losses, Oakland, and then this past week against Beach. Hendersonville last year, 26-22, they won at home. They're on the road this week. But you know what? If they can just put an entire game together, they had that game to the final minutes. They held Beach to six points until the final four or five minutes. And to be honest with you, this is looking like a home playoff game for Region 4 6A. Uh, right now, Mountain Juliet might be that number one. This could possibly be a two seed up for grabs. I like the Commandos. Hey, this could even be a, a potential region title game if you look at it yep. down the line like that. I mean, if Mount Juliet you know, doesn't get back on track enough in time, mm-hmm. you know, this could be for the top seed. This is a televised game. You know, it's it's a old nine AAA rivalry as well. And Hendersonville had better fix their special team stuff this week because if they don't, they're losing another one. This is a playoff game in the middle of the season. Yep. Yeah, and both teams need it equally as bad. They just, you said it, Lebanon, and I, I said this last week, Lebanon had to watch out for Laverne because they were sneaky good. Uh, Le, uh, Laverne kind of got it going there. And you know what? We just talked about special teams. Laverne had a, a bad snap on an extra point to tie the game. Uh, so I think if Hendersonville just puts a complete game together, I think they can get the best of Lebanon. I, I, we, I do think that the Hendersonville will do that, too. Yeah. And I think my official pick is Hendersonville as well. Okay. So we hadn't gotten to that yet. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I didn't exactly have to sneak that one in there at the end. But, uh, we're no, all no, going. no. We want to make sure you get your pick in. <laughs> Trust me. Hey, it's all got to count. We're all documenting each yeah. other's picks now. It's, it's, all, right. it's all got to count, right? Yeah. But uh, speaking of counting, um, we're counting Lipscomb Academy as a top five team in Division II AA. They, they were number five this week. And a three and one record, they host Good Pasture. Uh, Trent Dilfer is starting to get that that team rolling a bit, and, and they're ranked. And let's see what that does for them. I'm so disappointed. I, at the beginning of this year, when we did these previews, I was all about the Lipscomb Academy story, and I think it's two weeks in a row we've had a, we've picked a Lipscomb Academy game, and I've gone against the Mustangs. I got to get back on with the Trent Dilfer bandwagon. They've beaten two five A teams now. Um, you know what, and they're balanced, offense, defense. When you saw Trent Dilfer go there, you would think, oh, he's going to revitalize that offense. They played some pretty good defense against Page last week, and I just I think at home, who knows who's going to be playing the pregame concert. I'll go with the Mustangs. <laughs> well, I looked at this game, and I'm really looking at good pasture, and everything seems to run through Cooper Pennington. He's got a 54 54- 0.5% completion percentage. Uh, he, he's passing 382 yards. He's got – he's a playmaker, and he's got uh, some – he's got some ability, but their defense has issues. They've, they allowed 442 yards rushing to Nashville Christian, 268 yards to Mount Julie uh, – passing to Mount Juliet Christian. I just don't think they can keep up with Luther, uh, Luther Richardson. And and uh, those that Mustangs, I've got to go Livingston. I mean, sorry, I got to go Lipscomb Academy here. Yeah, good pastures improved, no doubt about it. But I think the way Lipscomb Academy's played the last couple of weeks is is a really good boost for confidence for them. And that you're playing some good football right now. So I'll take Lipscomb Academy as well. So we'll go three for three there. Uh, we go back to Region Four and Six A. Wilson Central, the only unbeaten team there at 4-0, travels to Mount Juliet at 1-2. Wilson Central just outside of that top 10 in the AP poll this week. They're number 11. Uh, this one, we didn't really know what this one was going to be at the beginning of the year, but it's shaping up to be a critical game for both teams. Yeah. I, Wilson Central's kind of been a quiet killer so far this season. They basically walked through Antioch last week. Um, Overton was a one-point loss. But what I, what I see when I watch tape of this team is a uh, is really good guard play. 
I, I see really good guard play, especially in pass protection. Now, Julius has got to be disappointed they couldn't continue the win streak against Gallatin. Um, you know, Gallatin holding 97 yards total offense. I just don't think that – I just don't think they'll, that uh, they'll be able to stop the Golden Bears this week. I'm going Mount Juliet this week. This one's a tough one because, you know, Central has just not been able to beat Mount Juliet in the past. I think it's 2008 was the last time they beat the Golden Bears. And if it's going to be – if Central's going to have a chance to win this ball game, I think it's got to be very similar to what Gallatin did a week ago. And they don't have a back like Spencer Briggs, but they've got three really good backs. They've got to get the ball in a lot of guys' hands. You got to chew some clock, and you got to play some really good defense. This has to be a very low-scoring game. Probably first one to ten wins. This might sound a little ridiculous, but I'm going to give Brad Dedman and the Wildcats a nod. I just think it's been so long. They've been so close. Some of these last few matchups with Mountain Juliet has just been blowouts. And the thing is, right now, I just don't know what the Golden Bears do offensively. Who knows what they walk out there in. They could be in the wing tee. They could be in the spread. This is an identity game for Mountain Juliet. And I just it's really a toss-up for me. I'm going to give the edge to the Wildcats. We mentioned earlier in this podcast about teams possibly being other teams' heads for rivalry games. Same situation here, except this is a region game, and it counts double. So, for me, Wilson Central hasn't necessarily been tested all that much so far. This is their first test. For right now, I'm giving Mount Julie the benefit of a doubt until I see otherwise. So, I'm going with MJ on this one. And I, I say one impact here, and this is one of the few that's actually, this is a scenario in this area, is home field advantage for Mount Juliet. The way that stadium's built, the field level was kind of in the ground. If that student section for the Golden Bears can get there, get loud, that's one of the places that that can be an actual – that's a really big help for a team because yeah. that's a place where it's, it's loud and it's, it's a great atmosphere. I think that's going to be a really good game. In the last couple of years, that game hasn't been very close. It's going to be a close game either way. And another team that's going to need some home field advantage is Stewart's Creek. They're coming off their first loss of the season to Cane Ridge. Three and one now. They'll host Laverne this week. Laverne with a very close loss to Lebanon. Both these teams are going to try to get off the schneid. Key for Laverne is can they stop Amari Jelks? Amari Jelks, one of the feature backs for Stewart's Creek. If they can stop Amari Jelks, they're going to have a shot here. But I just do not think after what happened to the Red Hawks last week against Cane Ridge that they let another region game slip away. You know, at Laverne, they're on a three-game road trip right now, and the first two are a region game. I think this is a rebound game for the Red Hawks, and I like Stewart's Creek. Yeah, I like Mari Jelks. I like just watching him run. I don't care if he's 5'4". He can get the job done. You know, and, and Barry Sanders is 5'8". And, and that amazed me because I, I saw that article this week and that he was 5'4". Yeah. And he, at looking at his stats, he doesn't run like he's 5'4". No, he does not. No, he he really is their offense, really. You know, the issue is uh, Laverne, you know, they lost that heartbreaker last week to Lebanon. That really could have changed their fortunes. But I can't go against the Red Hawks here. i got to go Stewart's Creek. Yeah, I do too, just because I, I believe that the talent level at Stewart's Creek has gotten just a little bit better in the last couple of years. And, yeah, they're going to have to learn how to bounce back from a loss under this current program. But I think they can. Oh, I don't think that – I think Burt Brown is uh, – I think that's been a teaching point this week for him is, as, you know, getting back and uh, cleaning up the little things. Speaking of cleaning up the little things, um, one team that's going to have to clean up some little things to get a win is Westmoreland as they go to Trousdale County. You know, this is a key 2A game, a 2A game in one of those regions. But uh, to me, this looks a little bit one-sided. Uh, Trousdale County has dominated this series the last four years. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, the Eagles are two and two, but they the their competition just hasn't been to the same level. Uh, I've been watching you know, just some of the film and you know some of the tackling errors uh, that were made last week uh, that allowed the Eagles to you know, to to win. It uh, it, it really kind of showed that. I just don't. I just don't think that they can score 
very much on Trousdale's off on Trousdale's defense. I, I have to go Yellow Jackets. Yeah, I agree. And last week was a really good week for Trousdale County. They bounced back after the loss at Watertown. I, I think it's Trousdale County here. I just don't think Westmoreland uh, they're going to be able to stay in that game uh, with what Trousdale County does very well on offense and defense. Yeah, th- this game is a bit of a talent gap. You know, Trousdale County, number six in, in 2A, you know, they've got they've got guys that can fill in for starters if they go out. Westmoreland has very good players, but the depth isn't there, at least not to my not to my eyes. Right. And for me, it boils down to Westmoreland has to play a perfect game to win this game, and I don't think they can do it. And, and this feels like 42-14 or, or 42-7 to me. And it, it's kind of along the lines of what it's been the last three or four years. So I'm going Trousdale County. I, I don't necessarily think it's going to be very close. Um, next up on the list, Creekwood at 4-0 against 3-1 Montgomery Central. We've talked about games in this region, and this is a big one for both teams. Creekwood just outside the top 10 in 4A, but uh, they're going to get a test at Montgomery Central. Yeah, and these, this game the last couple of years has been a really good contest. Montgomery Central, they've won the last four, but the last three have been one-possession games. Uh, Creekwood's been right there, and Creekwood, they're a much-improved team. 4-0 for the first time since 2005, and you know what? Montgomery Central 0-1 right now. Creekwood uh, a notch above them with already one region win. I just think Montgomery Central here, it's going to be it's going to be a really tight ball game, but they, they kind of understand that they need a region win, and they've got to have this one. I like the Indians. Uh, yeah, I think this game gonna, is going to be a, a, running, a, a good running matchup. Garrett Stansbury um, you know, against uh, San, uh, LaKendra Sanders. Um I'm going to go with Creekwood in this one, but I think you're right. I think it's a very close game. I, I wanted to go against you, Scott, but I can't. Um, I think Creekwood is the better team here. But uh, Montgomery Central will give them a run for their money. But I'm going Creekwood in this one. Uh, next up is another rematch. At Davidson Academy at Friendship Christian. Davidson Academy 1-2, and two, Friendship Christian 3-1. and one. And this is the rematch of last year's title game. And the Bears off to a slow start, but uh, they're going to hope to get back on track. And they need to do it against a tough Friendship Christian team, now ranked number two in Division II single A. Uh, just looking at, uh, at, day, at uh, uh, Friendship Christian, actually, the, uh, the you know, 43 first half points this week on uh, Justin Seagrave's legs, the Dorian Champions, they've got a – potent offense they don't throw the ball a lot but they haven't had to you know the bears they've got some issues at quarterback and that's that's the thing right now for me is it, you know how can they get that straightened out uh i think that i want to go davidson academy really bad but i can't i'm going friendship christian here the bears just got to score some points they scored season high 14 points last week they're just they're not able to put points on the board right now and for friendship christian that's not the case they're averaging about 35 right now and their defense as well they have come to play and giving up seven points a game it's a rematch as you said the state championship last year and i think it goes in opposite direction i like friendship here at home yeah you mentioned davidson academy's scoring trouble uh, if they can't get into the 20s i don't think they can win this game man to me it, this looks like friendship christian should win this ball game but I'm definitely going to see if Davidson Academy can prove all of us wrong. Uh, Friendship Christian's my pick, and we'll go three for three there. Uh, another key four A game: Springfield at three and one against White House three and zero. It's White House's region opener, and we talked about it earlier that this region doesn't really take shape until White House plays their first region game because they're the last team to do it. Yeah, it takes shape this Friday for sure. We already brought up the the other matchup, Creekwood and uh, Montgomery Central. You know what, White House, we've talked about it already this season, how much better they've gotten as a team. Um, last year against Springfield, they lost this game 47-10. to White House already this year, they've won a game against a 6A squad and then already two wins against uh, 5A teams. Much improved. They're playing some good talent. I'm just going to say this. White House beat Station Camp. 13 to 7. Springfield beat Station Camp 31 10. It's not a really good reason, 
But I'm taking Springfield anyways. Yeah, you know, I agree. Yellow Jackets have struggled to get things going uh, against that station camp team. It was actually 10-10 to 10 at the half. But looking at White House's record, the three teams that they've beaten have one win between them. I don't know what White House is yet. I'm going with Springfield. I'm really concerned that they only beat Hunter's Lane by 12 points. I'm, I don't know if that says more about Hunter's Lane being much improved this year or about what White House might be, but that 32-20 score last week concerns me. Uh, if you're a better team, you, you, you probably shouldn't be keeping games that close. And you mentioned the station camp earlier. It's just 13-7. We don't know what White House is. This game is their measuring stick right now. But something tells me that this might be the week we find out a little bit about White House and I'm taking the Blue Devils over Springfield in an upset. Wow. All right, there you go. So, He's got a hunch. Hey, <laughs> you want to be the lead dog, you got to go out on a limb sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Unless so, it's me, then don't take that advice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thin branch. <laughs> uh, one more game, and you know, it's, it's a huge one. The Battle of the Woods, Ravenwood number three in 6A, travels to number seven, Brentwood. This, one, this one's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. So many weapons uh, all over the field. I can see this being just as easily a really good defensive game as I can see it being a really good offensive game. Uh, I, I am I, – I, I will tell you, I'm envious of you being out there. <laughs> I mean, I will be, I will be checking uh, – I'll be checking my phone regularly uh, to, to see the updates. How do you pick against Ravenwood – with all their playmakers, well, you get Cade Grasnow <laughs> throwing the ball around. God, I, 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 and why do I have to be first to pick this? You know what? Until somebody knocks off Ravenwood, I'm going to stay with the Raptors. That's a good pick. It's a Ravenwood. And I think what we brought up earlier, it's going to be a factor in this game for sure of you know what? You just played a game where your defense was on the field every fourth down. You had to – Play defense after every touchdown. You had to recover onside kicks. I'm not going to say it's going to take the entire game, but you've got to get back into that rhythm of an actual football game. Last week's an outlier. I think it's interesting in this matchup, Battle of the Woods, the road team has won the last three matchups. You know these student sections in Williamson County, and Scott, you've seen them firsthand. They're the real deal. It's going to be a great atmosphere. Both schools are going to – Ravenwood's going to be at Brentwood. Brentwood students are going to be there. I just I don't think the Bruins right now, and I think it's going to come down to defense. I know Ravenwood gave up a bunch of points last week. I just don't think Brentwood's defense is going to be able to do what Ravenwood's defense is going to do. So I, I like the Raptors. You make the point about you know defense having to go into the rhythm of a normal game again, but you're not having to play defense on fourth down. You're actually you know doing special teams at that point. More than likely, so it might be a bit of a break for Ravenwood now that that, that game's out of the way. But uh, it's not going to be a break in the fact that Brentwood's really good and it's going to make this a really close ball game. And I, I would almost consider picking Brentwood here just for the sake of, you know, they've got home field. It's going to be a wild atmosphere, and their kids have been able to win tough ball games already. But I can't go against Ravenwood the way they're playing right now. A little motivation, too, for Brentwood. They went to Henry County and lost last week. Really good Henry County team. We've talked about them this year. They lost 21-14. And you know what? This is just – we talk about all the rivals. There might not be a bigger and better one because, you know, this this one – we saw this rivalry between Brentwood and Ravenwood in the playoffs last year. Ravenwood eliminated Brentwood in the quarterfinals, 27 – or, excuse me, 47-24. to So – this is especially with the way that the the two fan bases interact. That's, that's to me the most oh. intriguing part of it. That the student sections are so great. Oh, you, you check social media. They've already started. Yes, they started on Saturday morning. It's <laughs> it, they're so great. It's going to be a great atmosphere. But I think it's one of those things you just got to see Ravenwood lose until you can pick them to lose. And, and right. this one got a ton of votes in our poll for picking the game of the week. So so thank you all for voting. We really do appreciate that. Um, like I said, it's going to be a great contest at Brentwood, and I'm excited to be able to go cover that one. Uh, but speaking of social media, find us at 615 underscore preps on Twitter, at 615 preps on Instagram, also the Midstate Preps Plus Facebook page, at MPP Scott, 
at CP Capozzi 18 on Twitter. And we really do appreciate you listening to us every week and, uh, and giving us your time. And uh, hopefully we can make your drive to work or wherever a little bit better. And we hope to be able to do that for you next week. So this is it for the 615 Preps Podcast for week five. We will see you again next week. So long, everybody. See ya. Special teams. One Five Preps Podcast is a production of B Squared Media, LLC.